Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. Jesus says, our story, we're going to get stuck. Do you want to be stuck? I don't really want to be stuck either. And his spirit is inviting us this morning to live out that story. Well, good morning, plant family. It's so good to to see you here this morning. My name is Andrew. If I've not met you, uh, I'm the campus pastor here at our West Milford campus for the Plant Church. And I'm so glad you've decided to join us on this beautiful day, this beautiful summer day. I know some of us can't wait for summer to be over. Some of us are uh, just waiting for a sunny day to go to the beach. Uh, but that's okay. Hey, I, I want to welcome you. If you are new here, visiting for the first time with us, welcome. We're so happy to have you with us. If you have not already, our connector team in the lobby has a small gift for you, a little gift bag. It's just our way of saying welcome. We're so happy you're here. We were hoping you would join us today. So if you didn't get that already, go and introduce yourself. Our connectors would love to give a gift to you and welcome you to our church and visiting with our family this morning. Uh, If you are new or if you've been here for a little bit and and have not had the chance to connect deeper, uh, in that little gift bag, uh, there's a connect card. There's also connect cards out in the lobby. And there's a QR code in the seat back in front of you. If you're more uh, a digital person, you can scan that and find our QR code there, uh, find our Connect card there. But if you want to fill out that Connect card, give us a little bit of information. Someone from our team will connect with you. There's uh, some opportunities there for you to get connected to what's going on in the life of our church. You can get on our email list. You can keep up to date on different events and things happening in the life of of the Plant Church. And I just want to highlight a couple of those things happening in the life of our church community for you right now. Um, The first being we have worship nights. Who's excited for worship nights? We've got a few people excited for worship nights. Uh, This Wednesday and next Wednesday, uh, this Wednesday is going to be at our Mawa campus at 7 p.m. Next Wednesday, the 26th, we'll be right here at 7 p.m. And these are opportunities. You don't have to attend the Mawa campus to go there. This is opportunities for our whole church family to come together and and worship together. And we've got opportunities on both of our campuses over the next couple of weeks to worship and prayer and worship and prayer and seek God together. So I want to encourage you to come out to that. Um, The last thing I just want to mention this morning is, is that we have our West Milford campus family cookout happening on Sunday, July 30th. Who's excited about food? Wow. I worship and food. Like there's like competing. I think worship won out on that, which just surprises me a little bit. I'm a little disappointed in you guys. Okay. All right. That's true. That's true. But hey, if you are going to be there, here's what I want to invite you to do. Bring friends out. Tell them to join us. We're going to start immediately after our service wraps up that morning. Bring a dessert or a side dish to share. We're going to have some grilled meats and some drinks and things of that nature provided. Uh, But bring a side dish to share. Bring a dessert to share. uh, And it's just going to be a great time. We'll set up tents and tables and some games and some cornhole. Who's ready to lose to me at cornhole this year? I lost for the first time last year. And it's... uh, I'm ready, I'm ready to come back, make a comeback. So uh, come join us for that. It's gonna be a great afternoon. It's a great opportunity if you're newer to the church to connect with people you haven't had a chance to meet uh, yet. And so we would love you to join us. Sound good? Sound good? 
All right. It's great opportunities to connect over the next three weeks this summer, and I hope you can join us. Uh, So with that, if you have your Bible or your Bible app, whichever you prefer, open up to Psalm 65. Psalm 65, as we we turn to uh, the message for this morning, something I want to talk to you about, Psalm 65. And we're just going to jump right into reading Psalm 65 from the get-go this morning. So let's turn our attention to the scriptures and read what the Lord might say to us today. It says this, what mighty praise, O God, belongs to you in Zion. We will fulfill our vows to you, for you answer our prayers. All of us must come to you. Though we are overwhelmed by our sins, you forgive them all. What joy for those you choose to bring near, those who live in your holy courts. What festivities await us inside your holy temple. You faithfully answer our prayers with awesome deeds, O God, our Savior. You are the hope of everyone on earth, even those who sail on distant seas. You formed the mountains by your power and armed yourselves with might, yourself with mighty strength. You quieted the raging oceans with their pounding waves. You silenced the shouting of the nations. Those who live at the ends of the earth stand in awe for your wonder, of your wonders. From where the sun rises to where it sets, you inspire shouts of joy. You take care of the earth and water it, making it rich and fertile. The river of God has plenty of water. It provides a bountiful harvest of grain, for you have ordered it so. You drench the plowed ground with rain, melting the clods and leveling the ridges. You soften the earth with showers and bless its abundant crops. You crown the year with a bountiful harvest. Even the hard pathways overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness become a lush pasture and the hillsides blossom with joy. The meadows are clothed with flocks of sheep and the valleys are carpeted with grain. They all shout and sing for joy. I want to talk to you this morning around the question, what planet are you living on? And before we get into the reflecting on this text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Holy Spirit, we, we just recognize that you are with us this morning that you are in our community, working in our community. And as many people shared in our pre-service prayer, so many recognize that you are at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us. And so I pray this morning, Lord Jesus, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive what your scriptures teach us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Has anyone ever asked you that question before? What planet are you living on? Have you ever had an idea that was just so crazy or maybe you were just like completely irrational 
or you just like were not in a good headspace and you started behaving or talking in some ways, especially when you're like a kid, right? And you'd hear from your parents, what planet do you think you're living on? You ever said that to someone? What planet are you living on? And, and it's that recognition of, hey, how you are talking, how you are thinking, how you are behaving does not line up with reality. What planet are you living on? And what Psalm 65 is that we just read is a psalm that describes what kind of planet we're living on. It's a space that tells us and communicates to us what is the logical and obvious response to the reality of what God is doing in the world we live in. It is an invitation to respond with praise and thanks to the enormous amount of work that God is doing in the world. Now, all of these psalms in the book of Psalms would have been sung. We don't have the melodies anymore. Those have long since been lost. But these were sung daily by the Jewish community. Jesus' day, he would have sung these psalms daily in the synagogue. The early followers of Jesus, who were all Jewish at that point, would have known every one of these psalms by heart. It's like the top 20 playlist of the people of Israel. They, They knew these by heart. You did not go through your life without knowing every one of these. Can you imagine having all 150 psalms memorized and you could just sing them like that? Isn't that incredible? Our, our biblical literacy is, is way, way shy of, of where those were. But they wouldn't just sing them so that they had it here. They sang them, not recited them, so that they had it here. Isn't that powerful how music has this way of sort of bypassing our, our filters, our rational thinking, or what we think is appropriate behavior, and it gets at something deeper. How many of you, when we're singing songs of worship on a sum, Sunday morning, it kind of bypasses here, and there's something, we're singing the truth and the reality of who God is, but there's something here happening. Does anyone have that experience? Not all of us are necessarily connecting uh, to God through music in the same way, but for many of us, that's what music does. It's, it's emotive, and it bypasses kind of our, our rational kind of thing thinking some ways and sometimes our distorted thinking and it gets at something deeper that's beautiful and wondrous that's going on. And so I love the Psalms because not only are they filled with truth in what the words are, but they're filled with truth in the way it's stitched together. It's, it's poetry. It's a song. You have to look at it as a whole to understand. It's really tricky to pick out a verse on its own outside of the context of the whole psalm. And this psalm is specifically inviting us to see that God is doing an enormous amount of work in the world. He's doing an enormous amount of work in the world. And the proper response for us is worship and celebration and joy. Just a quick run through of some of the list here. The enormous amount of work that God is doing. Think about this not as happening back then, but happening now throughout the world as you read this. God's answering prayers. He's forgiving all sin. There's good news for the poor. Where's that come from? When they're celebrating about how the festivals await them. Uh, Many of the, the very wealthy would bring and contribute most of what was needed for these festival feasts. And the poor got to eat just as much as the rich. 
There, there was a great sharing. This was good news for the poor. They were going to be provided for. And so there's also God doing that. They're answering prayers. He's answering prayers with mighty works and miraculous power. God's our savior and deliverer, it says. It's a hope for everyone on the planet, the psalm says. It says that God formed mountains. He quieted oceans. These are ways of talking about God bringing order out of chaos. He brought order and, and his sovereign rule over the history of the nations of the world. Does it look bad on the news? Don't worry. God is sovereign and he is bringing history to his conclusion. And he is using the nations of the world towards his ends. Every single nation. Every single people. Uh, what else? He's brought order. As I said, the sunrise and the sunsets. Everyone sees them and love them. Have you ever talked to someone who doesn't like a sunrise or a sunset? They're miserable people if they don't, if they don't like that. Everyone loves a sunrise or a sunset, right? There's, everyone has a moment where they go, wow, look at that sunset. Wow, look at that sunrise. All gifts from God, all God at work. God is making the earth rich and fertile so we have food, Amen got to have that, that burger this summer. Eat that steak. Have that pizza. I'm getting hungry now. There's water for everything that's needed. He's watering the earth. He's been watering the earth the last couple of weeks, has he not? It's been a little wet. He's providing all of this for them. That would have meant that he's providing for our needs in the midst of what we might think of as an unpredictable economy. He's providing for the animals. He's man, he's providing for things we don't even think of. God's at work in all of it, the psalmist writes in Psalm 65. And when you realize that the planet you are living on, that this is the reality, the psalmist says in the midst of that, the only rational, logical, reasonable way to respond to this, the God that's at work in this planet that we live on is in crazy joy and worship. In verse 1, we're called to give mighty praise. When have you last given mighty praise to God? Not just praise, mighty praise. In verse 4, the response to God's work is joy. In verse 8, it's shouting. Unfortunately, this translation translates three of them all as joy, but the Hebrew word's very different. It's building up. It's mighty praise, and then there's joy, and then there's shouting, and then in verse 13, it's wild shouting joyfully. How many of you are up for some wild shouting joyfully? Thank you, Trudy. We need some wild shouting when we realize how much God is up to in the earth and in the world. It's amazing. But even though I read Psalm 65 and I'm like, I see it on the page. I agree with it. I hear what you're saying. You nod and say, it's in the Bible. I guess I kind of have to say it's true. But even though we see that, doesn't it actually feel quite often like it's hard to connect to the truth that God is actually doing that much in the world? Do you know what I'm talking about? That feeling of, is he really moving that much? Maybe once in a while, thank you God for that. But other times, man, the rain's nice sometimes when it keeps us from having a forest fire in West Milford. But other times, it's just keeping me from going to the beach. 
Thanks a lot, God. Do we, do we really think and read and, and, and really get our head in a place where we look at everything happening in the earth? Man, God's doing something at all times and there's opportunity for joy. It doesn't really feel like that, does it? The question is very appropriate. What planet are you living on? Are you behaving? Are you living? Are you filled with joy as a response to, oh, I'm obviously seeing all this amazing stuff God's doing, or are we kind of behaving like God's not doing that much in the world? What does your behavior tell you? As followers of Jesus, we really need to ask, what planet are you living on? Are you responding rationally and logically to how much God is at work in the earth? We often do not act or behave logically with this truth, do we? I do not, for sure. It's church, you can be honest here. I think it was the late Brennan Manning who famously said, you know, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians, he said, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, I grew up hearing this in church, hearing this quote, and it was always connected to moralism. This was only about you need to behave, follow the appropriate Jesus ethic, and of course that is included in this. We don't want to be hypocritical with how we're called to live, but is it possible that Manning's call to live and behave in the world went beyond simply making sure we lived good moral lives? Is it possible that Manning's trying to say, man, what planet are you living on? Are you seeing how much God is at work doing? Are you living out this joy and this wonder because God is so much at work and it's just such a joy to be a part of and be thankful for? Living that quote in, in the old way, I found, made me a grumpy moralist. Living this quote out the way framed around Psalm 65, yes, there's a call to live ethically in the way of Jesus, but I feel so much more than that, don't you? An invitation to joy, to wonder, to awe, to be amazed at how God is at work in people's lives, in the world, in creation. It's such a gift. Now, I know because it happened in me this week as I was studying this text, there's something in your brain that's like does not compute. You're not, you're, you're feeling, are you feeling the disconnect? Like, it, that's too much, Psalm 65. I can't see that God is that active in the world. It's really hard in, in the secular world that we live in, in, in the West, to, to wrap our heads around this great reality that God is this much at work. There's a philosopher by the name of Charles Taylor that says that we live in, in our Western world inside what he calls an imminent frame. And what he means by that is it's a closed system where I am, and we're not taught this, we just behave this. 
We behave this because we saw people when we were little behave this, and we just behave this way. This closed system, he, he says, this imminent frame where we believe and we behave as we are completely autonomous from any kind of spiritual force and acting upon our lives. We're autonomous from being influenced by other people when we don't choose to be. And also that, that creation isn't actually creation. There's not some, uh, some creator or grand purpose behind it. It's simply nature. And it's something that we can manipulate, that we can change to do our bidding. This is the mindset uh, and the worldview that set the Industrial Revolution in motion. We can do, just grab what we need and go for it. It's just here. And so what, what Taylor suggests essentially is that we live in this way and behave in this way that we're completely free and independent from anything, anyone, in any way. Just do your thing. How often do you hear that motto? Like, you do you. Do what you think is best. I just want you to be happy. Do what you think will make you happy. And, and we do that not just in the world out there. We live this so often in the church, don't we? This is pretty normal for all of us. We don't escape this because we're somehow Christians or, or following Jesus. Everyone in our Western culture lives in this way. We behave in this way. Tell me you're alive. Are you following me? Thank God. All right, let's keep going. But, but here's what Taylor, this philosopher, says, that when we live in this, we, we, we can, to an extent, we live with some kind of independent uh, life. But he says, because we're not living and behaving as if we're connected to these broader things, other people, spiritual forces, the, the creation itself, we actually are robbed of the benefits of experiencing any greater sense of purpose or meaning. Does that make sense? It's essentially this. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be like, I am totally autonomous. God doesn't affect me. There's no such thing as that. Uh, creation doesn't affect me. Other people's lives don't affect me and influence me. But also you don't get the benefits of people speaking into your life, of God at work in your life, of being recognizing how God is working in the creation and in the world. Are you following me? We can't have our cake and eat it too. Charles Taylor took 950 pages to say that, essentially. Uh, but when, when we, we so often still live and behave inside this closed system. And I know that I feel stuck in that closed system, and you do too, probably. Because when I read Psalm 65, I go, I can't find it in me to worship and be that in awe and wonder of what I see happening in the world around me. It's really hard, God, to see you that at work. There's glimpses, there's moments. I know we, we have them, but to this extent, it's wild. So how can we live like followers of Jesus who know what planet they're on? So that we're not looking at each other or the world's looking at us go, what planet do you think you're looking on? You're living on. I don't see Psalm 65 at work here in your behavior? How can we live in a way that the psalmist is describing? How can we see God at work in the world so that we can live in the joy and the wonder of being a part of his world? 
And I think it's going to take three shifts in our thinking and our behavior. And I want to present each of those to you from the text uh, this morning. I'll just give, go over them very briefly. First, if we're going to live in this way, really live out what planet we're on here. First, we're going to need to think and behave in terms of we instead of me. Second, we're going to need to think and behave in terms of all people instead of my people. And third, we're going to need to think and behave in terms of creation, not nature. We instead of me, all people instead of my people, creation instead of nature. Let's look at this first shift that we need to make in our behavior and our thinking. A shift to we instead of me. And this is right out of verses 1 through 4. Talking about, this is really, these first four verses are are describing the people of God. Those who are gathered and loyal and submitted to, in the Old Testament context, Yahweh. In the New Testament context, Jesus. This is us. This is the church in a lot of ways. This is God's people that are being talked about. And the invitation for us, if we're going to get our head and, and our thinking and our behavior differently, we need to see... That God is at work, not just in my life, but he is at work in our lives. We get really focused on me in our spiritual walk, don't we? It is, it is really, it's sometimes overwhelming to get much further than just thinking about keeping it going for me, following Jesus. But we see here in these first four verses, he says, The psalmist writes, we fulfill our vows to you. Answer our prayers. We are overwhelmed by our sins. These festivities await us. It's all plural language that is shifting thinking from me to we. It's shifting how we think about God's work in the world from being individualistic to being communal. It is a very challenging shift for us to make, but it requires that we stop thinking about our decisions in a way that is as a silo and start thinking about our decisions as how they affect others in our community. If I choose to do this or choose not to do this, if I choose to live in this way or not, what would be the effect on those I'm in community with? How often do you consider that when you're making a life decision? Like almost never. I never think of that. Do you? I want to talk to you and learn from you if you you think that way. We also need to stop thinking that, that we're not responsible to the rest of the church community. If this is truly a we and not a me, we have to consider how each of us, if we're followers of Jesus, each of us is responsible to each other in some way. The scriptures are very clear about this, that we all are given grace from God to carry out different services and different gifts to encourage and build up each other. And if we don't see ourselves as part of the we, but a me, we're going to kind of stand back and be like, well, what is the church offering me? What kind of things does the church have available for me? How is the church going to help me? How's the pastor going to help me? What are the programs that are going to help me? Can I speak very candidly for like two seconds? 
The hardest group of people, when you're planting a new congregation like we are, the hardest group of people to get to come are families with young children. Why? What do you have for my kids? And there's no we attitude in there. It's me. And it feeds from our consumeristic, individualist society. Now, it's a fair question to ask, hey, how are my children going to be discipled in this church? Very appropriate question. But that's very different from, what are you going to do for them? Okay, I like what the other place is doing more for them, so I'm going to go there. And you might feel called to the other place. That's amazing. But, but that becomes a challenge. But that, that's symptomatic of that deeper issue that we live too much with me instead of we. And, and we miss what God is doing in us, how he's forgiving our sins, how he's inviting us from different socioeconomic backgrounds to share at the table like the festival table that was mentioned. This was a bringing together of people with so many different backgrounds. Man, I think most of us would be very uncomfortable in the early church because you had the slaves who worked from dawn till dusk, and then you started to have some wealthy people come in, and, and they were sharing. They had nothing in common. They had no business hanging out together. This is one of the reasons why people were so suspicious of the early church. Why is this very wealthy person associating with these peasants? This is not what God wants. Or they would have said what the gods want. This is going to destroy our society and the order that we have. And what God was doing was trying to bring together these groups to say there's good news. All of you get to contribute into each other's lives. The poor might not necessarily contribute food to the table, but they might have spiritual wisdom and an insight from the margins that that wealthy person needs to hear and receive. So we need to stop thinking in that individualistic worldview and think about the implications for being a we, even when I'm like, I don't really have anything in common with them. That's good. You get to see the miracle of unity in Christ at work. Deer in headlights, someone help me. You can respond. So we need to shift our thinking from me to we. Second, we need to shift our thinking and our behavior from, or to, we need to shift it to all people instead of just my people. This is one of the challenges that the church faces in this day and age. In verses five to eight, here's what we see. This is radical. The psalmist looks beyond the church community, the gathered people of God in the temple, in the festival, those who have been forgiven of their sins. And he looks out to the whole earth and says, you're the hope of everyone. You're not even here. You're not even part of the believing community, but he, you're, he's still your hope too. God blesses all people, the psalmist points out. Rain's falling. It says elsewhere in, in, in the Proverbs that rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous, the just and the unjust. That's not big, uh, referring to good times or bad times. That's, that's money. That's blessing. If rain's falling on your crops, it's going to be a good year. Why do the unrighteous and unjust people get to have that? Because God's so good. Because God's so good. God is sovereignly, also with the nations, he's sovereignly guiding history to its conclusion for everyone's good. He's the one that's going to bring the new heaven, the new earth. He's got a plan and he uses every nation, every state, every empire, every kingdom as pawns in his great 
beautiful plan that we cannot understand. Cannot understand. So God's doing all these things and blessing people and, and working in people in places that have never heard the name of Jesus. And we're sitting here going, hey, 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 what about the church? What about us? What about our people? How many of you feel the tension in our society where it's so easy to make enemies right now? How anything can become controversial. We live, I'm getting, this isn't in my notes, but this is on my soapbox now. We live in an era, and you can talk, we can talk about this sometime if I'm offending you with this, because I want to I wanna ask why this offends you, because God's doing something in you if what I'm about to say offends you. We live in an era where a coffee cup design can spark controversy and conflict. Think about just the tension, the electricity. It's like when it's going to have a big thunderstorm. You can feel the tension and the electricity in the air. And it just is going to take the smallest little thing. And we're drawing a line in the sand. A line in the sand and it's us versus them. Are you going to get on our side of the line or not? But I think somewhere... There was someone who said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I think when he said, love your enemies, he said and meant, you ready for the Greek translation of this? He meant, love your enemies. <laughs> I know, I just blew your mind. That's all those years of terrible, uh, being a terrible Greek student paying off right there. Um, I got that one down. It literally means love your enemies. Prefer them. If he slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek so he can hit that one too. We don't do that, do we? We, we live in this thing where I have to make sure that all those other people that are not my people know what is correct. And I don't see that in Psalm 65. I don't see that in Jesus. They are going to learn what's quote-unquote correct in my posture of loving them. In my posture of if God is blessing all people, how can I bless all people? They're going to learn what the truth of the power in the name of Jesus is by how I turn the other cheek. That's what radical witness in the name of Jesus looks like. Not saying, I need to protest that coffee cup design. You see, if we're going to see and really be able to be in awe of what God is doing in the world, we have to get past the us versus them. We have to start seeing all people, not my people. Because if we don't, we are going to miss how God is still working and moving history through everyone in the world, whether they answer loyalty to the name of Jesus or not. And we can begin to see, what is God doing over there? How might I step in to serve, to bless, to humble myself in their presence? How could that be a witness to them? How could that bless them? But we, and we begin to see God do amazing things in that environment. But we will never get there if we keep the vision and the worldview as drawing lines between my people and all people. 
We are called to leave behind enemy making and celebrate and praise and worship the sunrises and the sunsets along with every other human on the planet. That is probably one of the most difficult and challenging shifts for us. How many of you feel the, yeah, but what about, yeah, but what, how many of you have those questions? I know, I have those questions all the time. And, and I want you to, instead of trying to give a quick answer to that, ask the Holy Spirit, why is that what's coming up? Reflect and pray on that with him this week. I've got one more because God might want to take you into something that you never considered before. And I don't have an answer for it. God's way smarter than me. Three, we need to finally shift our thinking and our behavior from creation, excuse me, to creation instead of nature. Creation instead of nature. It is really hard. This is verses 9 through 13. It is really hard to think about the planet, the universe, all of these things, the, the little bits of atoms and molecules and all these other things. It's really hard sometimes to think about these things as something God made. It's sometimes hard to, yeah, we'll say, oh yeah, God made that. But it's really hard sometimes, I think, to think in terms of creation instead of nature. Here's what I mean by that. Creation implies that there is a loving, beneficial God, at least in the, in the Christian tradition, that said, I made this and it's good. And it has purpose and it's beautiful and it has life. When it's nature, we can reduce it down to a set of atoms, a set of molecules, things. We can manipulate it and use it to whatever degree we want without any kind of sense of, does this belong to someone more than a state park or something or my neighbor's yard? Who does this belong to? Who's, whose is this? Who made this? Another time, other times we'll, we'll, we're very comfortable with thinking, yeah, God made this. God created all this. But what we tend to do, tell me if you relate to this, because this is, this is totally me, is I think about nature, not creation, and I think about it in terms of God's got everything running. He's got everything moving. And, and he steps in and does things at different moments when, when we cry out, when we pray, and he just kind of steps in. Does anyone have that kind of feeling a little bit? When we pray or like when there might be a natural, natural disaster, it gets different. We think about God sort of intervening into the natural world, right? But you know what that actually is, is, is a form of deism. Deism is essentially God set everything up, got it spinning, and then he's like, all right, let's see how this goes. But what creation says and what is very clear about the God of the world in Psalm 65 is that he didn't just set it up and start it spinning. He's actively watering it. Thanks a lot again for all this wet, we, wet rain we have lately, God. He's watering it. He wants to make sure it's fruitful and fertile. And remember the context. This would have been economic abundance and provision. He wants to make sure there's more than enough for people to have what they need. He wants to make sure there's good food on the table. Going back to the festival, right? He wants to make sure that the flocks are fed, the animals are cared for, the plants are growing, the trees are abundant. 
This is a very different picture than how we think about nature, right? And even in our language, we often say nature, not creation. I've been trying to check myself with my language because I think it's an important change. You see, we, we come and we live in a very materialistic, naturalistic worldview, and, and we, we think about it in those terms. Nature is something passive. God's not working, but the reality is he is providing abundantly for us through his creation. What's the last good meal you had? Think about the last good meal you had. Someone tell me. What was it? A breakfast wrap? What was in it? I'm really, I want to know. Thank God for bacon. Yeah. Where'd that pig come from? Did you put cheese on it? Yeah. What kind of cheese? What kind of cheese? All right. All right. Sorry, that's not my favorite. That was a terrible reaction. I'd put cheddar on it too. I'd probably want to put a couple other cheeses on there. All I can think about is a good breakfast wrap now. But man, where did that all come from? That cattle, those pigs, they needed some land to feed on. Thank God for the rain. I know we're so removed. We don't live in an agri... Do any of you live on a farm? I could be wrong, but we're so removed from agricultural society. We think rain inconvenience and the farmer's going, thank God for rain. I'll have money and an abundant crop. There'll be food in grocery stores. Man, I, we try and tell our girls, especially Harper now, she's four and a half. We try and explain that our access to a grocery store, the supermarket, the whole idea of a supermarket, how unique that is in the world. It's so rare that I can walk into the street in a town like West Milford, which is kind of out there in a lot of ways, right? It's not like we're not in the middle of like an urban center, But even in a place like West Milford, I can go into that shop right and I can pretty much get whatever I want. And if not, it's one click away on Amazon. And sometimes it's scary. It'll be there by the end of the day when I order it. We live in a world where we've used the materials of this created world to do some incredible things. But a lot of times we put that down to human ingenuity. How many, when's the last time you thought as you sat at your table or you went to a restaurant and you had an incredible meal and just traced what needed to happen to get that food on your plate? One of the things we try and do, we eat dinner together almost every night as a family and and we try and just teach the girls, we need to thank Jesus for our food. Yes, he provided the money to buy the food, but he also just provided the ability for the food to be made. Thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for that. I mean, the food alone is gonna lead us into worship, right? But we we miss how much God is at work in everything when we're stuck in our naturalistic worldview and think about it as nature instead of creation. We, we think and we, and we miss how much God cares about this beautiful creation. We miss it because we think about it as nature. And, and we need to, I'll just throw this in there because it's just in the news all the time right now. We need to get past petty, conflict-driven, partisan conversations about what it looks like to care for God's creation. 
Maybe that offends people, and you need to ask the Spirit, why does that bother me this morning? Ask God that. I really want you to. I'm not here to try and get everyone lockstep to think exactly the same way. What I am trying to do is get you to see that God is at work so much more than you and I imagine. What does it mean for someone who follows Jesus to see the world as creation, not nature? Now, we're not talking about neo-paganism, that is, a God is in everything. We're talking biblically about the God who is above creation, but man, does he care about his grid-created world. And man, does he want to see it flourish and survive. And man, he put humans here to steward it and care for it. What does that look like for you and I? So this is... Uh, I'm about to go on vacation, so this is me dropping my like little... I hope this wasn't too weighty. But just, here's the point of this. At my heart, I'm a worshiper. That was my background before I was here. I was a worship pastor. and, and, And I want people to just be in awe and wonder of actually how much God is at work doing. But that's gonna require us to move and shift our behavior and our thinking from me to we. It's going to require us to move our thinking and our behavior from my people to all people. And it's going to require us to shift our behavior and our thinking from nature to creation. This is challenging for every single one of us, myself included. I don't have this figured out. But I see in Psalm 65 a question from the psalmist asking, what planet are you living on? What do you think is happening in this place? Does your behavior line up with the truth that God is at work? That God's leading and guiding and restoring and providing so many things. So this morning, you have probably at points found yourself, oh, but what about? Yeah, but you got to consider, or just straight offense, or maybe vindictiveness. You've been on the other side of the spectrum. Ha ha. Wherever you fall on that, I want to invite you to be curious and wonder, what is the Spirit wanting to say to me through my reaction to this? What is he wanting to teach me about myself and what planet I'm living on? Respond. I want to invite you to respond to the Spirit's invitation to you to see how much he's working in everything. How much God is at work in the world. Let it move you to awe. Let it move you to wonder. Let it move you to shouts of praise. Let it move you to wild celebration, amazed at what God is doing in the world. So would you stand with me? I want us to go right into worship. We'll come back to to communion in a minute. But I just asked the team if we could go right into worship at the close of this. And here's what I want you to do. I just want to invite you. Maybe think about things you've not ever considered that God could be at work in. Maybe it is the meals that you eat for you. Maybe it's some of the relationships with those that are not your people, but all people. Maybe it's shifting from the me to the we. Maybe you need to get your eyes in a different place and your actions in a different place. And I want you to reflect on those as we worship. And as we sing and declare his praise, will you enter into a new kind of imagination 
getting a vision to see how much God is doing in the world. Will you pray with me and we're gonna worship. Jesus, we, we wanna see how much is true about how much your Father and our Father in heaven is doing in the world. We wanna see how he's forgiving sins and answering prayers and and leading history to its appropriate conclusion. We wanna see how he's blessing the earth with abundance and providing for people all across this planet. We wanna see how the Father is moving in every aspect of this universe. And Lord, I just pray that it would lead us to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.